Welcome to Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today is our 4,050th episode special, and we're celebrating with an episode of Screen Guild Theater featuring Brian Donlevy. The original air date on this one is May the 1st of 1944, and the title is A Not to Remember. Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild Players. The Lady Esther Screen Guild play tonight, A Night to Remember. The starring players... This is Lucille Ball. This is Brian Dunleavy. Tonight, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in Columbia Pictures' comedy of murder and blackmail in Greenwich Village, A Night to Remember. It stars Brian Donlevy as Jeffrey Troy and Lucille Ball as his wife, Nancy. The Lady Esther Screen Guild players in A Night to Remember. The address was 39 Gay Street, New York. I had a strange feeling about the place right from the start. First the scream, and then... Jeff, Jeff, there's something crawling across the floor. (laughs) 39 Gay Street, New York. (laughs) You know, an artist might call that Greenwich Village. A social worker might call it the slums. (laughs) Sure, I pointed all that out to Nancy, but she was sort of sensitive, I guess, because, you see, she'd rented the place without even asking me, and, (laughs) well, anyway, you know how women are. Now, Jeff, I've said it all before. Many times, darling. And I'll say it again. If you're going to write a novel about Greenwich Village, then you You ought ought to to live live in in Greenwich Greenwich Village. Village. (laughs) You funny man. Quite frankly, I didn't like number 39 Gay Street. I don't think you would have liked it either. One of those musty old brownstone fronts they'd cut up into small apartments. And when we went up the steps that night and entered the hall, our landlord wasn't exactly overjoyed to see us. I, I wasn't expecting you, Mrs. Try. And not till Thursday. Well, I thought as long as the apartment was vacant... You see, my husband is a writer, and he's very anxious to get to work. Yes, we'll be glad to pay you for the three extra days. Oh, no, 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 it isn't that. No, no, you see, I haven't had the lights turned on, and the apartment isn't cleaned yet, and... uh, Well, I mean, perhaps if you'd have stayed at a hotel tonight, 
By tomorrow, I could have everything ready. Oh, but our furniture's on the way from Connecticut. It ought to be here in an hour or so. I guess we'll just have to... Oh. Jeff, what was that? Well, it wasn't the six o'clock whistle. It, it, it came from downstairs. Hey, Mrs. Troy, I assure you it's nothing at all. Mr. Turner, it, it, it happened again. Well, what happened? Uh, down in the basement, that thing, whatever it is, it crawled across my feet. Uh, stop oh, that, Mrs. Hunter. My... Stop oh. it at once. Now, you go to my apartment and wait for me there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Say, what did she mean? Oh, uh, you mustn't mind her, Mr. Troy. She's my janitor, you see. Oh. An excellent worker, strong as an ox, but when she works in the basement, she gets hallucinations. <laughs> uh, that's absurd, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, silly. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> if you'll uh, lend us some candles, Mr. Turner, we'll have a look at our little nest. Come along, Nancy. Let's you and me go up, huh? Jeff, hmm. it isn't up, it's down. Well, then let's go down and see our little... Down? I forgot to tell you, it's the basement apartment. It didn't look so bad by candlelight. The uh, living room was pretty fair size. One door opening on the street and another opening on the hall. And the bedroom had a door that opened right on a garden. <laughs> That's what had Nancy so excited. Oh, just imagine, darling, a garden right outside your bedroom in the heart of New York. Why, we can even have a victory garden. Mm-hmm. Good soil, too. Lots of iron in it. How do you know? Well, isn't that a horseshoe lying there? <gasps> Jeff, you found a lucky piece. Pick it up. Where'll I wear it? You just hold it tight and make a wish. Oh. Okay, I've made it. What'd you wish? Well, while we're waiting for our furniture, I wish we could find a restaurant where they still have some steaks. Cute name for a restaurant. Polly's Stable. Must be a good place to put on the feed bag. <laughs> You funny man. Good evening, folks. How's everything? Well, the martinis are swell, but I need some toast. Toast? What kind? White or rye? Oh, it doesn't matter. I just want to stick it under the leg of this table. <laughs> Look, Jeff, while you order dinner, I'll go and phone the cleaners about our drapes. Well, I'm pretty hungry, Nancy. Will you be back soon? Uh-huh. And two shakes of a dry martini. Hey, listen. I've had about enough, darling. You meet me tonight, or it's going to be curtains. Gosh, that's in the next booth. Yeah, let's meet the same place as before. 39 Geese, the basement apartment. You heard me. That's all. 39 Gay Street? The basement apartment? Oh, gee. Jeff, Jeff, while I was in that telephone booth, I... Oh, excuse me, I didn't realize the waitress was still here. <laughs> she isn't the waitress. She owns the joint. Darling, meet Polly. Polly, meet darling. Hello, darling. How do you do? Uh, now, Nancy, you were saying... Jeff, you see that man at the bar with the hair growing down his forehead and the scar on his chin? Uh-huh. Well, I heard him threatening someone in the next booth, telling him to meet him in our apartment. Well, they couldn't meet in the telephone booth, so I guess if they want... Our apartment? I distinctly heard him say 39 Gay Street, the basement apartment. 39 Gay Street? Yes, do you know the place? Oh, sure. I, I live there myself on the second oh. floor. Oh, you do? Well, then maybe you know oh, who that... Excuse me, Jack... we're awful busy tonight. See you later, folks. Enjoy your dinner. Hmm. Jeff, she acted so strangely. What's it all about? Oh, I think I better find out. I'm going over and have a talk with that guy. 
No, Jeff, don't. Well, now you just wait there, Nancy. Hiya, pal. I'm not your pal, and keep your hands to yourself. Huh? Hey, just a minute. Who do you think you're shoving? Don't like it, huh? No. Well, maybe you'll like this better. <laughs> Jeff! Jeff! Jeff, darling, open your eyes. Speak to me. Is that guy still here? No. He's gone. He ran out. Okay, honey. What'll we talk about? My hero. Now you'll need two steaks, one for your stomach and one for your eye. Huh? Home, sweet home. And there's no place on earth I'd rather not be. Jeff, hmm. it's awfully dark in here. Yeah, lucky we bought these extra candles. Well, there we are. That gives us some light. But don't you understand? I left a candle lit when we went out to dinner. Hmm. Oh, well, it must have blown out. Any little draft could... Ouch! What's the matter? Oh, my foot. I stubbed my toe. Hey, look. It's that darn horseshoe. My lucky piece, no less. That's odd. What's it doing on the floor? You put it on the windowsill. See, that's right. How did it get on the... Jeff, listen. You hear that noise? Sounds like water running in the bathroom. I'd better have a look, huh? Hey, not without me. All right, all right. Here, put the candle down on the floor. Right. That's it. Steady now. You with me, Nancy? Nancy! Just, just, Jeff, look. That candle is moving. Gosh. <laughs> hey, hey, what's so funny? Look, it's a turtle. <laughs> it must have come in from the garden. You put the candle right down on its back. Oh. Hey, I'll bet that's what's been scaring Mrs. Salter, too. Come on, now, let's have a look at that bathroom. There you are, Nancy, you see? Just some water running out of the tub. That's what I mean. Where'd the water come from? Well, uh, uh... We didn't fill that tub. That's right, we didn't. Oh, I know. That guy from the restaurant came in here to take a bath, but he was very modest, so he blew out the candle. And he pitched horseshoes to dry himself off. You funny man. <laughs> oh, well, there's no use getting all upset, Nancy. And... Ooh, what's that? Maybe he's back again. Jeff, don't go. Don't worry, I'm not. Anybody home? Got a load of furniture here. Oh, it's just the furniture. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine being scared by an overstuffed chair. <laughs> quiet enough the rest of that night, but in the morning, things really started to happen. First of all, the police woke us up. Sorry to get you folks out of bed, but the neighbors complain. Fella lying in your garden without any clothes. In our garden? Well, he's got a nerve. Well, go on out there and get him out of there. Wake him up. Well, I wish I could. He happens to be dead. And then later, when they had us look at the corpse, Nancy had to go and blurt... Why, Jeff! Jeff, it's the man you had a fight with in the restaurant last night. Now, uh, just let me get this straight, Mr. Troy, about this exchange of blows last night. Inspector, there wasn't any exchange. Only two blows were struck. He struck my husband, and my husband struck the floor. Ah, oh, no, Nancy, I pushed him once, didn't I? Now, what's one little push? You didn't murder him, did you? Who, me? 
Uh, say, Inspector. Yes, Bowling. I got a little dope for you. The guy's name was Kaufman, Lewis Kaufman. Had an apartment up on the third floor. Hmm, who told you that? Oh, you wouldn't guess in a million years. Remember during Prohibition, this place was a speakeasy? Joe's place, it was called. And Joe had a partner. Eddie Turner. Yeah, that's right. Remember, we grilled him, and when Joe disappeared, well, little Eddie's still around. In fact, he's a landlord of this joint. Hmm, that's interesting. Inspector Hankins? Yeah? My name is Lingle. I have an apartment in this building. That's right, Chief. I got his name on the list. I want you to know, sir, if I can help in any way. Oh, thank you, Mr. Lingle. We may call on you. Oh, I'm in the phone book. The Lingle Art Studios. Any time at all, Inspector. Any time at all. Inspector, if you don't mind my putting in a word. Not at all, Mr. Troy. Well, I, uh, I think you should have questioned him. After that conversation my wife overheard, you should question everyone in this house. Mr. Troy, remember, you live here, too. Uh, well... Oh, that's silly. Jeff isn't the murderous type. Oh, I didn't say he was. Come on, Bowling, let's go up and look at Kaufman's apartment. Wait a minute, Inspector. Just look at these books. Murder in the Laundry, Murder in the Air, Murder in the Subway. Must be a couple of dozen of them. Somebody got murder on the brain. Hmm. Mr. Troy, you said you were a novelist? You didn't by chance. Uh... You bet. I wrote every one of them. Murder Mysteries by Jeffrey Yort. <laughs> That's my name spelled backwards. T-R-O-Y-Y-O-R-T. You get it? Yes, uh... Didn't you write a book called Murder in Prison? I sure did. How'd you like it, Inspector? Well, I thought it was the kind of a detective story that uh, knits. Knits? Oh, you mean all the clues fall into one place. No, I mean knits. K-N-I-T-S. You spell that backwards, too. K-N-I-S-T-I-N... Mr. Hankins, you're not a detective. You're a critic. Well, I guess that made me pretty mad. Made me want to show the inspector up, so while Nancy was throwing some breakfast together, I sort of wandered through the halls looking for clues. That was how I ran into Polly. You know, the girl we met the night before. Well, one thing led to another, and then she asked me in to have some coffee, and that's when it happened. I, I noticed a letter lying on the coffee table, and quite casually, I read the address. To Mr. Andrew Brule, 507 West 12th. Only Polly seemed to get upset, and she made a grab for the letter, but I got it first, and just to tease her, you know, just for a gag, <laughs> there we are, sort of wrestling for it, and I guess she has her arms around me when all of a sudden Nancy shows up. Oh, excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> oh, that's all right, sweet, we were just kidding around. <laughs> yes, over this letter. Well, yeah. when you get through playing post office, Mr. Troy, your breakfast is ready. Say, I think she's mad. Huh, I... Better go and explain. Nancy! Oh, Nancy! Wait a minute. You stay away from me, you, you, you bluebeard! Oh, Nancy, you're not jealous, darling. That's silly. You're never jealous, I suppose. Of course I'm not. How about when the butcher saved me that roast? You huh? weren't jealous. Oh, no. Just mad enough to kill, that's all. Darling, shh. I will not shh. You were mad enough to kill. Uh, say, Mr. Troy, I want to speak to you. Oh, now look what you've done. Uh, let's get down to your apartment, folks. A few more questions I'd like to ask. <laughs> Troy, did you ever see this horseshoe before? Oh, sure. That's my lucky piece. Wasn't so lucky for Lewis Kaufman. What do you mean? I mean there's dried blood on it. And these strands of hair are from the dead man's head. Wait a minute. Are you saying that this horseshoe was the murder weapon? Now you're getting hot. And I do mean hot. Oh, say, Chief, we checked the fingerprints on that horseshoe. They're his, all right. Whose? Yours. Oh. Okay, Troy. Get your hat and coat. Wait a 
minute. He hasn't done anything. He wouldn't hurt a fly. Jeff, darling, don't go. You haven't even had your breakfast. That's all right, baby. Don't you worry. I had a cup of coffee upstairs with Polly. Oh, with Polly. Take him along, Inspector, and I hope he gets light. Lady Esther has presented Act One of A Night to Remember, starring Lucille Ball and Brian Donlevy. In just a moment, we will hear the Lady Esther Screen Guild players in Act Two. But first, a word from our hostess, Lady Esther. Every time I see the rush for new spring bonnets, I think how much wiser those women would be to get themselves a new spring face. I can almost hear you say that's not so easy. But it is. Do you realize that the face powder you use can either make your skin look old, dry, and lifeless, or it can do just the reverse? It can make your skin look so radiantly fresh and alive that people instinctively turn to look at you. Lady Esther face powder is made altogether differently from other powders. It is deliberately planned to make your skin look more youthful, smoother, more appealing, and one thing more, to keep you more attractive for hours and hours. You see, my Lady Esther face powder isn't mixed in the usual way. It's blown by twin hurricanes, blown with such terrific force that all the tiny particles of color and powder are merged into a smooth, velvety blending. This method transforms Lady Esther face powder, transforms it from the ordinary powdery particles that blow right off into a delicate film of beauty that clings to your face for hours. You'll feel and see the difference the instant your puff touches your face. You'll see how wonderfully smooth your skin becomes, how little lines and blemishes disappear. Try Lady Esther face powder and look more youthful, more glamorous, not just for minutes, but for hours and hours. Esther presents the second act of A Night to Remember, starring Brian Donlevy as Jeff Troy and Lucille Ball as his wife, Nancy. Jeff continues our story. Well, they kept me down at headquarters all that day. But then, some new development turns up, so that evening they let me go. Nothing else happened till late that night. I guess I must have been sleeping pretty soundly when... Jeff! Jeff, wake up! What's the matter now? There's somebody in this apartment. I can hear him walking around. Well, tell him to sit down. Hmm? In this apartment? Shh! Hear that sound? I wish I didn't. Don't go out there. You might get killed. Yeah, I know. But if I just stay here and listen, I'll die of fright. Your golf bag is standing here in the corner. Maybe you can hit him with a golf club. I don't know. I could never hit a ball. (laughs) Oh, well, we'll try it. Come on. There he is, Jeff. I can see him outlined against the window. Oh, yeah. Don't move now. I've got you. Oh, oh Jeff. Sure, you got him, only he didn't know about it. Now he's gone. This is no time to argue, Nancy. Turn on the light. Okay. 
Hey, Nancy, look. He dropped his knife. And knocked over the screen. If men weren't so clumsy, they... Say, honey, this isn't our screen. I know. Mr. Turner lent it to me to cover the window while our drapes got back. Well, there must be something about this screen that... Sure. There it is. He was scraping something off with that knife. See it, Nancy? Something 07 West 12th Street. That first number looks like it might be a five. Five? Oh, seven, West 12th. Hey, that sounds familiar. I wonder where I... Wait a minute, I know. 507 West 12th. That was what was on Polly's letter. The one she had to wrestle you for? And the name was Brule, Andrew Brule. And somebody didn't want us to know it. Well, it wasn't Polly, it was a man. Yeah, and it wasn't Turner. He's not that big. Listen, who's that? Why don't you ask? Yes? Who's there? It's, uh, it's me, Mr. Lingo. I heard a noise. I thought there might be some trouble. Can I be of any help? <laughs> well, if you find a stray heart in your throat, it's mine. It's uh, all right, Mr. Lingle. Everything's under control. Thank you. Oh, that's fine. Oh, good night. Such a nice man, always wanting to help. Well, that doesn't answer the question of Mr. Brule. Say, Nancy, call me a cab, will you? I'm going in and put some clothes on. Jeff, it's after one o'clock. Well, if Mr. Brule is a respectable guy, he'll be home and asleep. And I'm going to wake him up. Oh, that's well, except for one slight mistake. Mistake? Yes. We're going to wake him up. Yes, what is it? Oh, uh, good evening, madam. I'm sorry to disturb you, but uh, it's very urgent that I see Mr. Brule. Ain't no Mr. Brule here, and it ain't evening, it's morning, and you ought to be ashamed. Good night. Mmm, cute kid. Jeff, are you sure you had the right address? Absolutely positive. You know, Nancy, it's funny. His mail should be sent to a place where he doesn't even live. I think we ought to check with the post office, you know what? Darling, not tonight. (laughs) Well, no, I guess it can wait till morning. Here's the clerk now. Go ahead, Jeff. Ask him. Uh, <clears throat> my name is Brule. Andrew Brule, 507 West 12th. I uh, haven't been getting my mail lately. Would you please check and see if there's something wrong? Uh, Why, uh, uh, Mr. Brule, you gave us instructions over a year ago to hold all mail and general delivery. Don't you remember? I, uh, well, oh, he's so absent-minded. Oh, is that so? He sometimes even forgets he's married. Well, that uh, certainly clears things up for me. Uh. It does? Mr. Brule, I guess you just forgot. You you called up here about an hour ago. I did? Surely. You asked if anyone had tried to pick up your mail. Sounded kind of worried, too. Oh, he's just the worrying type. Come along, dear. There are others waiting. Come on. Yes. Yeah, well, well th- thanks, old man. Much obliged. Not at all, Mr. Brule. Don't mention mm. it. Jeff, what do you think? Huh? I think Mr. Brule is worrying, too. It's pretty clear now, Nancy. He's mixed up in this murder some way, and... He knows that we've gotten a line on him. Well, the next thing, I guess, he'll come after us. Jeff, what do we do? What can we do? Just sit tight and wait. And when he comes, we'll grab him. Jeff, what time is it now? Oh, just a few minutes to midnight. Midnight? Mm. Say, what are you so scared about? 
We've got all the lights on. I've got my trusty mid-iron here, and... Hey. Hey, the lights. Who turned those lights off? Not me. Huh? Ooh. Then it must have been the murderer. The, the fuse box is out there in the hall. Jeff. Huh? There's something co- coming through the door. Steady now. Steady, Nancy. Yeah, yeah. All right, you. Whoever you are, you better give up. I've got you covered. I... hit me. Oh, Jeff, it's you. Oh, darling, I'm sorry. It's so dark in here. Well, maybe it is, but I can see stars. Hey, the murderer. Where'd he go? I don't know. That was a door, Jeff. He must have gone out. <laughs> hey, listen. Police whistles. How did the cops get here? How do you think? I called them this afternoon. Oh, look, there. the lights are on again. They must have fixed the fuse. Say, did you call the cops or the electricians? Nice work, Mr. Troy. <laughs> we nabbed him, all right. Yeah? Who was it, Inspector? Mr. Andrew Brule, alias Mr. Lingle. Mr. Lingle? Who lives upstairs, the one who wanted to help? Oh, that was a front. Like his art studios were just a front for his blackmailing. Blackmailing? Sure. He was collecting from every person in this house, and they didn't know that Brule and Lingle were one and the same. But how could he blackmail all these people? Oh, easy enough. Just get something on them that might embarrass them. Funny the things that people will try to hide. Since uh, he only spoke over the phone to them, they never guessed who he was. Yeah, but what about Kaufman? Why was he killed? Well, I guess Kaufman was the only one who suspected the truth. And when he insisted on having a showdown, Lingle had to kill him to keep him quiet. Hmm. <laughs> well, I guess that's that case, uh, Inspector. <laughs> I sure am glad I was in on the finish. Finish is right, Mr. Troy. <laughs> only it might have been yours. Huh? We just took this knife off Lingle. Pretty mean-looking, isn't it? You mean he was going to... Uh, Mr. Troy, he's, he's fainted. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Jeff, open your eyes. Darling, get up. Please get up. You've got to get up, Jeff. You've got your good suit on. <laughs> Thank you, Lucille Ball and Brian Donlevy, for the most entertaining half hour. Well, we ought to thank you, Mr. Bradley, because it's really been fun. And besides, all of us appreciate an invitation to play here because we know what wonderful work is being done by the Motion Picture Relief Fund and its country house and clinic, a work made possible by these radio broadcasts. Brian Donlevy will be back in a moment, but first a word from one of America's foremost beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Thank you, Miss Ball. Ladies, if you've ever watched an artist paint a portrait, you know he can make his subject look younger or older just by the way he tones her skin. Think about that, because you do exactly the same thing with your face powder. You make your face look younger or older. Any artist studying my nine different shades of Lady Esther face powder recognizes them at once as young skin tones. I proved what a difference they make in an experiment the other day. At a dinner party, a woman I'd never seen before was seated opposite me. She looked rather middle-aged, rather plain, and didn't attract much attention. After dinner, I struck up a conversation with her. Knowing my interest in beauty, she confided that she hated her drab, plain look. But it's my age, she said. What can I do? 
Well, we went into a dressing room, and I removed her hard, cakey makeup that made her face look so dry. Instead, I applied my own shade of Lady Esther face powder, which fortunately was her shade, too. She looked and looked. She was simply enchanted. Her face did seem altogether different, so radiant, so smooth, with almost a little girl freshness. It's all due, I explained, to the different way Lady Esther face powder is made. It's blown by twin hurricanes to give it those young, translucent shades, that velvety texture, and to keep it clinging to your skin for hours. Perhaps you'd like to try an experiment on your face. So why not get a box of Lady Esther face powder tonight? And now, here again is Brian Donlevy. Thank you, Mr. Ball. People are beginning to wonder how they will fare post-war. They're asking, (laughs) will high incomes continue? Will there be jobs for all? (laughs) Well, seriously, nobody knows, but we all know this. Money invested now in war bonds is the best way you can safeguard your post-war security. For every $3 you invest now in war bonds, you get $4 at maturity. And in an emergency, your bonds can be converted into cash any time. So isn't it plain good sense to buy all you can, put every cent you can spare into safe, profitable, patriotic War bonds. Thank you. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present Dark Angel. It will star Donald Crisp, Merle Oberon, and Ronald Coleman. Be sure to listen. Lucille Ball appears through the courtesy of Metro Goldwyn Mayer, producers of White Cliffs of Dover. Brian Donlevy appears through the courtesy of Paramount, producers of the Hitler Gang. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. To try Lady Esther for purpose face cream, just get the smallest size jar. Later, you can get the economical large jar and keep refilling the small one for convenience. This is Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther, saying thank you and good night, everyone. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Well, this is actually the first time in 16 years of old-time radio podcasting that I've recorded an episode featuring Lucille Ball. I think I may have recorded a an app extra featuring her, but unless I did something during the war and the podcast, not any recent conflict, I, I've never had her on the podcast, so it's a treat to have her. Even though I don't think this was a role that really challenged her a whole lot. I did watch the movie beforehand, and I won't go into too many details. But in many cases, it was a it was an okay film. It starred Brian Ahern and Loretta Young in the roles that were played by Brian Donlevy and Lucille Ball in this particular adaptation. It had a good premise. 
it meandered a little bit. And I think the radio story is a bit more compact. The story was interesting. It featured Sidney Tollier not playing Charlie Chan, but playing the uh, police officer. It also had a really different style of comedy. It went for a lot more of a subtle feel, which when you think about all of the screwball comedies really makes this a bit unique for a detective film. But part of what it was doing was poking fun at the conventions of the amateur sleuth story by having mundane, ordinary things happening, and in particular by having the police be competent. They had one moment in the movie where Jeff, the mystery writer, tells of an encounter with a suspicious person and demanded the police bring her in. However, an officer had already arrested her to bring her in for questioning and immediately brought her in. Which is a parody on the idea where the amateur sleuth tells the police to bring someone in for questioning and the police are just uh, waiting on pins and needles for the amateur sleuth to say, oh yeah, you've got to bring this person in to be questioned. And that's the sort of humor that tended to predominate. And the plot, as I said, was pretty involved. It got simplified a lot. I almost wonder if it was too simplified. I did the Green Guild Theater version of it because it featured Brian Donlevy, and we also get to hear a little bit of Lucille Ball. But there is a uh, Lux Radio Theater version, and we may end up playing that eventually, which may fill it out a bit more. Now, one thing I will say about this, if you are interested in finding it, you want to be sure that you look for 1942 film, A Night to Remember. If you do a search for A Night to Remember on its own, you end up coming up with a 1958 film that's about the sinking of the Titanic. So ironically, this film is the forgotten Night to Remember. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And thank you to John, Patreon supporter since October of 2017, currently supporting us at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, John. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software. We'll be back tomorrow with an episode of Sam Spade, where... Yeah, Sam. Huh? Do we have a meat steak, Fiddleloid? Yeah, afraid so. Last I heard, you were in Cleveland. Yeah, but... I'm in San Francisco now. Well, Cleveland's gain is our loss. Well, I like it here. Maybe they had a hot spell in Cleveland, huh? Ah, uh, heat never bothered me much. Yeah, you ought to be used to that by now. <laughs> Let's talk about you, State. How's business, huh? Please, I'm eating. Yeah, yeah, so I noticed. Uh, you like bodies, huh? Good as the next joint, yeah. Uh, I mean, you're coming here all the time, regularly. You ain't here on business now, are you, State? Never mind the hat. Come on, Denny. I'm parked out front. I, I hate to get in wrong with cops. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, tell the boss I... I already told the boss. Get going. So long. Just stay there and enjoy your sandwich. Yeah, so long. The waiter, of course, was the guy who called me, a white-faced young kid, sweating with his black tie up under his left ear. They walked outside and got into a car parked in front of the restaurant. Of all things, a limousine with a liveried chauffeur. I watched through the front door as it pulled away, picked up the license number, and called the Department of Motor Vehicles. The car belonged to Mike Sheldon, known to the voters of the North Beach section as Uncle Mike. A white-haired, jolly-faced gentleman of dubious means and still more dubious methods who had something to do with politics. What he had to do with a weasel like Freddie Malloy, much less a poor waiter boy at Barney's, was something to ponder. I sidled back to my booth and attacked the corned beef on wheat. My uh, teeth, instead of going all the way through the sandwich, which is the way I like it, struck something firm and unyielding. I pulled from between the lettuce and the bread a wax paper envelope. Inside was a $50 bill and a small photograph of a blonde. Denny, the waiter, had scribbled three words in the corner of it. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.